when were the what schools who decides what the next where's that story why they keep the loop what is this it's Curious City, where WBEZ answers your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. All right, let's bring it in, team. I'm Logan Jaffe, Curious City producer, and this week's question is straight out of left field. Well, technically, center field at Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. But our question isn't even about baseball. It's about numbers and how we communicate them. And before we get into our question, I want you to get a sense of how Cubs fans keep track of the home game. Excuse me? Excuse me. Hi. I'm just curious. Do you use your phone at all, like, uh, to keep track of the score, keep track of the game? No. I'm a Cubs fan from way back. I started when I was six years old, so I kind of pretty much know what's going on. Um, you just have to come out and enjoy it and root them on. And when they're up to bat, you just hope they go for the go for the scoreboard. <laughs> but which scoreboard? Wrigley Field has three of them. The big new one in left field the big new one in right field, and then that rinky-dink hand-operated one in the middle. Um, just, you know, kind of running me through which boards do what? See, I've not been here for these new boards, so I don't know. I, I can't tell you. That's the one I remember, the old original scoreboard, the manual board. That's that's what I, that's Wrigley Field to me. <laughs> that was Denise Kaderna, who's been coming to Cubs games since the 1950s. And now I'm going to introduce you to our question asker, Tom Faust. He attended his first Cubs game last year, and only because his friends dragged him there. I am most decidedly not a baseball guy, but I am a bit of an information nerd. Tom found himself more intrigued with Wrigley's old hand-operated scoreboard than the actual game. And I was looking at it, and I was trying to figure out what it all meant, because there was so much information on there. And I was trying to imagine myself as someone who in the 30s went to a baseball game. Back in the 30s, Tom would have seen a huge forest green board, beautiful clock up top, gentle sloping angles, all mounted just above eye level in the center field bleachers. He'd see scores coming in from ongoing games around the country, in addition to the score of the current Cubs game. And in the middle, the number of the player at bat and the number of balls, strikes, and outs. And also the uniform number of the umpire for some reason. All that info was on one board. 80 years ago, was that unique? Specifically, Tom wants to know whether this scoreboard was a revolution in information design for 1937, the year it debuted. His take? I would probably guess that yes, this is something that was really unique and probably encouraged the growth of even more. So is the Cubs scoreboard worthy enough to join the ranks of pie charts and digital clocks as a fundamental shift in how we represent information? To answer that, I'm going to tell the story of how the board was made and why it looks the way it does. And we'll evaluate whether the design was really revolutionary. The story starts in 1937 with P.K. Wrigley, the Cubs owner. P.K. Wrigley was the kind of guy who would spend six hours repairing your watch and then 15 seconds talking to you. This is Stu Shea, who wrote a book about the history of Wrigley Field. He was uh, a tinkerer, an idea guy, not a great people person, a strange bird. P.K. Wrigley didn't even like baseball. He inherited the team from his dad, the chewing gum magnate. But Wrigley did enjoy the challenge of filling the stadium with fans. One of P.K. Wrigley's most brilliant thoughts as a marketing person 
was the idea that you cannot guarantee whether a team is going to win or lose, but you can guarantee that the park is going to be clean and the food is going to be good and the facilities are going to be adequate. And they sold not just baseball, but they sold beautiful Wrigley Field. To do this, he hired Otis Shepard, a famous designer. Who came up with a plan to have kind of flowing lines and a kind of Art Deco style. They established a color palette. Well, there was a lot of green and a lot of brick. The ticket windows were in off-white terracotta, so were the concession stands, and they were all inspired by the outside marquee at Clark and Addison. So there was this idea of let's, let's make everything tie together in the park. Including the scoreboard. P.K. Wrigley decided the park needed a fancy new scoreboard to top off the rest of the stadium's new design. And Cubs general manager... Bill Veck, yes, the same famous publicity stunt artist who owned the White Sox in the 70s, Bill Veck, was left with the details of Wrigley's vision. It was his job just to get everything done. P.K. Wrigley would give Veck an idea, a kind of a vague outline, and then Veck would have to sort of guess as to what Wrigley really wanted, and then he'd have to implement it as quickly as possible. For the scoreboard, Veck hired an inventor friend who had an idea to use a different technology to display the information. The center part of it, the parts of the balls, the strikes, the umpire, that would all be controlled with magnets. Story goes, a couple days before opening day in 1937, Vec's inventor friend was having some technical difficulties. And here's Vec, well, an old recording of him, to tell you what happened next. He said, I've never built anything this big. And he said, I don't think we can make it. I said, well, why didn't you tell me? So I walk around and I try to find, he's gone. And Bill Vec scrambled finding a few mechanical engineers at the last minute. We worked for 48 hours, and the last unit was put on that board 15 minutes before the ballgame. Nobody had ever tested it. The electrician connected the current, and it worked. And on the opening day of 1937, it was a dream. Their fans walked into this ballpark with this new outfield design and this beautiful new scoreboard looking over them. They were amazed by how beautiful it was. The sports writers immediately said, Wrigley Field is the most beautiful place in sports now. I don't think any ballpark had ever been called beautiful anything before. Beautiful, sure. But was the scoreboard revolutionary? Let's take a look at the scoreboard from the eyes of somebody who saw it that day. The left side, the line scores of games in the National League. The right side, the line scores of games in the American League. Shea says... At the time, most ballparks did have that information. But this board stacked the scores vertically, at eye level. But what about the middle part, with the number of outs, balls, and strikes? That technology was mechanical. This was meant to be able to change with just a push of a a lever. It was easier to operate than ever before. Plus, the numbers were bigger, more user-friendly. There may have been a, a willing desire to say, let's make this information easier for people to read who are not necessarily big baseball fans. Mainly, women. The Cubs attracted more female fans than any team at the time, maybe because the board was easier to read. But it wasn't that different. What Wrigley Field's scoreboard gave you was everything that a baseball fan at that time would have expected to be able to get. So to sum it up, it had the same info, but you got it in real time, and it was easy to see. Innovative for its day, but revolutionary? Meh. But how does it stand up today? So my first impression was, wow, that's kind of a mess. This is Marie Hicks, who teaches the history of technology at IIT. There was just too much going on. There was just too much information. You know, it wasn't 
immediately user-friendly because there wasn't a single point of entry into it. I ask her if she can see anything revolutionary about the Wrigley Field scoreboard. Her answer? Flat no. Because if it were revolutionary, then everything after it would have been just like it, and there would have been less of a reason to keep it around. And while Hicks says you can't call it a revolution, she does say it was part of something bigger. It's a harbinger of making numbers fun for larger audiences. A harbinger of today's infotainment. From Netflix recommendations to internet quizzes to comical infographics about regional accents. And if baseball's a game of numbers, that's more true than ever before. Just look at fantasy baseball or today's sports apps. It's a whole nother ballgame of infinite player and team statistics. And just this year, for the 2015 season, Wrigley Field installed two gigantic screens on either side of the old middle board. They show live replays, batting averages, both teams' lineups, the works. But that old 1937 scoreboard is still there. Why? Stu Shea says the answer is part practical. He says a thing would be nearly impossible to retrofit, and tearing it down would be a political hurdle because it's been a Chicago landmark since 2004. But he also says the board's still valuable. This beautiful thing is now in many ways seen as obsolete. We don't really have a lot of that anymore. When something becomes obsolete, we pretty much just rip it down. In our midst, we have this big, beautiful reminder of the past and what at that point was the greatest progress that had ever been made in presenting information on a scoreboard. Today, that board is so idiosyncratic that it makes Wrigley Field timeless, unique. And that's exactly what P.K. Wrigley wanted his ballpark to be. Plus, these days, it's popular to build new ballparks with an old-timey retro flair. So maybe Wrigley Field scoreboard wasn't revolutionary. But it stuck around for so long, it eventually became ahead of its time. Reporting for this story came from me, Logan Jaffe. Research and production help from Chris Hagen and Cheryl Ray Stout. Archival audio from the Media Burn Independent Archive. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandel, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conan Fund for Journalism. I've been coming here since I was in my mid-50s. No, since the mid... Wait, take that back. (laughs) Never mind. Curious City on WBEZ is supported by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible is offering Curious City listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City and download a title and start listening on your iPhone, iPad, Kindle, Android device, Windows phone, or over 500 different MP3 devices. Audible suggests Curious City listeners may enjoy books about Chicago, like The Devil in the White City or Fire on the Prairie. That's at audiblepodcast.com slash Curious City. This architecture is us, right? It's it's the reflection of us. I'm Jen Masongarb from the Chicago Architecture Foundation. We know Chicagoans are passionate about the city's architecture and have a lot of questions about it. Over the past year, WBEZ's Curious City and CAF have teamed up to answer some of the best. 
like these. What if the Great Chicago Fire never happened? Why does Chicago have so many two-flat buildings? Where did the street number system come from? We need even more of your questions. If we like yours, we could devote an entire story to it, like we did when we answered how Chicago got its street numbering system. Every town that came in under the expanding city limits, from Lakeview to Hyde Park, had its own system for naming and numbering its streets. It was chaos for new arrivals to the city, let alone people who made their living navigating Chicago. Have a question about the why, the what, or the how of Chicago's built environment? Head to wbez.org slash Curious City or call us at 888-798-7752. Again, that's 888-798-7752. And thanks. Next time on Curious City. There are bicycle dismount signs all along Chicago's lakeshore. We went to see if they're obeyed. A bunch of divvy bikers just went through, but they didn't stop or slow down. Guy in a cub shirt, woman with a mirror on her helmet, another Lance Armstrong coming down the path. Guy with a baby. They are going to stay on their bikes. <sighs> Chicago bike laws. Are they enforced? Find out next time on WBEZ's Curious City. I got a good feeling about these two.